Welcome to The Recovery Show. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we, and our guests, may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of detachment. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Kelly, and I will be your host today. Joining me is co-host Swetha. How are you today, Swetha? Fine. Thanks, Kelly. Good. And next to Swetha is co-host Spencer. How are you doing, Spencer? Oh, I'm feeling a little bit detached. <laughs> That's good. Appropriate timing. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic detachment. Following a musical break, we will talk about our lives in recovery and about what's happening in the meetings we attend and in our lives in general. And we follow that with brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. So I wanted to start with a reading on detachment. And actually, Swetha picked this one out. And it's um, from a Al-Anon Daily Reader called Hope for Today. The date is August 27th. It says, For some time I had difficulty detaching. When I tried it, my focus shifted to me, and I had a hard time just being with myself. I began to understand that my skill in detaching rested on my ability to accept my own thoughts and feelings and to become comfortable with myself. As I felt accepted in Al-Anon, I grew in self-acceptance, which gave me the courage to practice detachment. I tried it with the active drinker. When my spouse went drinking after work and was late for dinner, the kids and I ate and went to an early movie. I didn't stay home waiting with anger and bitterness. When someone struggled with a dilemma at work, I learned to offer my expertise and then let go of whether the person tried my ideas. I didn't lose my focus or productivity by taking over someone else's problem. Then I began detaching from my alcoholic parent as well as the sober one. When they argued, I learned to say, I'm sure you'll find a creative solution and then leave the room. To increase my self-care options, I rented a car when I visited them. If one of them tried to draw me into a disagreement, I got into the car and drove somewhere safe until I could calm myself enough to return. Now, with lots of practice, I find it easier and easier to detach. The more I detach, the more time I get to know, accept, and spend time with a really wonderful person, me. So I kind of liked in this reading that um, she took us on a little journey of her process through detachment because I think it's important to discuss uh, not only what detachment is, but the fact that it's much like a lot of the other topics we talk about, rarely instantaneous, um, that it takes a lot of us a lot of trial and error to get to the point where we can successfully detach over and over again. Um, So, but I think... First, it's important for us to talk about, you know, what detachment means to us and also kind of what your initial thoughts were when you first heard about the topic. So do you want to start us off, Spencer? Sure. I got a little story. I always have a story. <laughs> um, so this was, I, this was, had to be before I came into Al-Anon because um, I hadn't heard the word or I hadn't heard the word in this context, at least. Uh, and... Uh, I was visiting uh, with my uncle and cousin, who are both uh, alcoholics in recovery, and I was talking about um, you know my loved ones drinking and the you know the troubles it was causing us. And at the uh, you know we were out to dinner, and as we were leaving the restaurant, um, my uncle turned to me and he said, "So what I hear is that like you're supposed to be able to detach with love." <laughs> And I, you know, those words went into my into my ears and into my brain. And I don't know what I said to him out loud, but what was happening inside my brain was, what the F does that mean? <laughs> Detach with love? What? <laughs> How can you do that? Uh, so, you know, I had the concept. Uh, no, I didn't have the concept. I had the word. And it was apparently it was something I was supposed to do. This, you know, he's like, yeah, well, apparently in Al-Anon, they tell you you, st- you should detach with love. And I had no clue what that really meant. I had no clue how to do it. Uh, 
Um, and and uh, you know, so that was my first my first introduction of the term. Uh, I didn't. I, it just didn't make sense. That it seemed to me that detachment was the opposite of love. You know, if I loved somebody, I'd be with them. And if I'm detaching from them, then I'm not loving them. I don't know. I think my first experience with the word detachment in this context was um, I went to my first Al-Anon meeting and they handed me a newcomer's packet. And I, I didn't really look through the rest of the packet, but on the front of it was this brochure for which the first word on it was detachment. And um, at that point in my life, I was really frustrated and angry and and just especially fed up with um really the codependent people in my life um like my family and i i used to i used to fantasize about never speaking to them again i mean <laughs> i i used to fantasize some really sick twisted things that just essentially erased them from my life but i would feel really guilty about it i'd feel really guilty about not responding to them in the way that I know they wanted me to respond. And I saw this um, this uh, brochure for detachment. And the first thing on there is um, detachment is neither kind nor unkind. And I thought, oh, thank you, God. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so I can do this. This is fine. And um, it's written down. There's a formula. It's neither kind nor unkind. And uh, I was really relieved. I wasn't very good at practicing it um, because I'm very black and white about these things. And for me, kind of like what Spencer was saying, detachment or, yeah, love and detachment were uh, it was an oxymoron to say loving detachment or detachment love. <laughs> and so I would, when I was detaching, I would do it harshly um, in the beginning. I would be like, no, stop, stop talking to me. <laughs> Why are you doing this? Um, and it would be very cruel and just cutting them off um, because I didn't know, I think I didn't know how to do it a different way. But um, yeah, that's that's just, I think I felt relieved when I heard the word detachment, but I don't think I really got the idea of detach with love. I think I'm more detached with with fear and aggression. Yeah. What about you, Callie? Well, like we said, Swetha, it's a process, right? <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I When I first heard about the idea of detachment, uh, the first thing that came to my mind was it sounded like giving up on the person. It mm -hmm. sounded like I either, you know, and this kind of speaks to the level of my sickness, but kind of like you were talking about that black and white thinking, I either thought that you loved them and helped them through everything and essentially, you know, enabled them mm -hmm. or you left them and left the relationship. You know, I didn't really realize that there was potential to find some sort of middle ground. And I know in, um, in one of our texts, it describes detachment in a way that helped me relate to the topic because it explains detachment as with an analogy of, you know, if you had plans with a friend and they called and canceled because they had the flu, that you wouldn't be angry at your friend for not being able to make it, that you would understand that it was the sickness, not your friend. And that was the part that I didn't really have any sort of grasp on prior to the program. I, I didn't realize that there was a separation between the person and the alcoholism, and so that I could still love the person, but not have to do everything, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was kind of, kind of tricky to figure out the, um, the middle ground there. Um, and Swetha, you kind of touched on how there are different kinds of detachment, which is something we talk about often in the meetings that I attend. Um, some of the types that we have written down here are numb detachment, loving detachment, fearful detachment, and my favorite, uh, <laughs> middle finger detachment. So, um, Spencer, I feel like you also kind of have a story about this. Um, there's a reading in, in one of our daily readers, and, and I really don't remember which one right now, that um, it, it tells a little story to, to delineate the difference between uh, detaching with anger, um, sort of neutral detachment, if you will, and, and detaching with love. And the, the imagery here really helped me. Um, so the, the situation is that your loved one alcoholic comes home from a night on the town um, and falls down in the middle of the front yard and passes out. Okay, so um, angry detachment, or as I prefer, middle finger detachment, um, 
you know, there's visual that goes with that, of course. It involves sticking up your middle finger between you and the other person that's detaching, right? <laughs> um, angry detachment is where you turn on the sprinkler and then you go inside and go to bed. Um, and then the sort of neutral form of detachment is you just leave your loved one there in the lawn and go inside and go to bed. And then loving detachment is you go and get a blanket and put it over them. And then you go inside and go to bed. And you notice that the outcome for you is the same in all three cases, that mm-hmm. your um, situation, your care of yourself is not tied to what your loved one is doing. It's not tied to the fact that they're passed out on the lawn. You can go to bed. You can go to sleep without um, you know, fretting, obsessing. I think there's, there's actually a phrase in, in the uh, little uh, flyer that, uh, that Swetha was talking about. It says, Detachment allows us to let go of our obsession with another's behavior and begin to lead happier and more manageable lives, lives with dignity and rights, lives guided by a power greater than ourselves. And so in all three cases, the outcome for me is the same, but the outcome for the other person and probably the emotions, I know the emotions that go along with it are different. And I know when I hold anger, that is destructive to me. And so that helped me to understand it's like, okay, I'm not being so affected by the other person's behavior, but I can, I can still treat them in a loving way, even if I have to be physically away from them Mm -hmm. in order to be able to be loving. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it took me a while, you know, as Kelly said, it is a process and Mm -hmm. it took me a while to get there. When I came into Al-Anon and I started to sort of wake up and become aware of my feelings again, I realized that that I had a whole bunch of anger and resentment. And I'm not sure I was even able to do the sort of detachment thing. I think I would have, you know, walked over and kicked them till they woke up and told them they had to come to bed. And then, and or and then if they if they wouldn't, you know, I would have uh, I would have lain in bed and tossed and turned and worried about it and gone back out to check on them and and. You know, I was not able to detach. Um, and I've talked to, uh, you know, I have some friends, a friend in the program who, you know, talked about going through this process with, I think it was his son. It was when it, it was a child. And where at the beginning, all he was able to do was to cut off contact that, that he couldn't, you know, this was an adult child, but he couldn't bear to see what was going on in his son's life. And so he said, you just got to be out of my life. I can't have you here. Um, and as as he worked the program, as he started to, you know, get back his life, his serenity, um, and and came to be able to have more compassion and to forgive his son for his behavior, then he was able to to bring him back in 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 a detach a loving detachment way, so that they were he was in his life, but he wasn't obsessing, he wasn't trying to control it, or he wasn't being controlled by it. For me, a really important component of that was learning to uh, detach the disease from my loved one, as as Kelly said. That um, you know, if it, if it if it's like the flu or something, that's really obvious. It's not it's not the person. It's a person. It's the flu. Um, and but with a disease such as alcoholism, which really affects somebody's behavior, uh, it's a lot harder to separate the effects of the disease from the person themselves. Mm-hmm. And so learning to separate um, the disease from the person um, made it a lot easier for me to, um, to start to be able to practice loving detachment. I, I agree. And I, I'm, as you were talking, I was kind of thinking about my journey through the different types of detachment. And I, when I, before I came to the program, I was very familiar with the idea of numb detachment. I mean, that was, uh, the environment that I grew up in was very emotionally detached from everything. So, you know, my typical response to things that I didn't like was just to shut down and walk away. You know, you didn't say anything, you didn't put up a fight, you didn't voice your opinion, you just accepted it and, and walked away. And so, I think, um, you know, it was kind of the issue of the pendulum that when I came to the program and heard that 
this idea of detachment was something that I could use, I kind of took it like way in the other direction. Mm -hmm. And I took it as like a permission to just be a real jerk to people that were <laughs> upsetting me by really using that middle finger form yeah. of detachment by just um, voicing every opinion that I had, mm -hmm. you know, I just I kind of went to the, the other end of the spectrum. And so after some practice, I feel that um, it's been a little bit easier to come to a place of loving detachment. It doesn't always come easily. Uh, my default is still the numb detachment, but now I have some tools that I can use at my disposal. Um, I can call my sponsor and run the situation past her before I act and make a decision. Um, I can pray and meditate on the idea. And sometimes just using the pause button helps me realize, you know, how important is this? And, and is it something that I need to stick up for and detach on? Or is it something that I'm just feeling crazy about and really isn't that important? So, um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely an interesting journey. And I'm sure my alcoholic would say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it. Um, there are, yeah, with the different kinds of detachment, like I mentioned, I often did the middle finger and fearful detachment, which kind of went hand in hand for me. I mean, I grew up in a household that was also not big on almost every feeling except um, except maybe anger. And uh, so that was how I would respond to a lot of things. Like um, I would suppress, 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 ignore, 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 and then explode. And um, that explosion was just, that's it. I'm cutting you off. You're done. We're not speaking again. Um, and uh, the idea of I think the first time I really was able to understand detaching with love is when I heard or maybe read that that alcoholism is a disease and that, you know, it's a, if kind of the, I think the story that you were saying, Kelly, about, you know, if your friend has a cold or the flu, that um, that you wouldn't be mad at them for it. And I'm really big on black and white and pendulum <laughs> sort of behavior. So I was like, oh, well, if it's like they have a flu or a fever, what I do is go over to my friend's place and just take care of everything for them. So I can never, ever be mad at anybody for doing anything ever um, because it's the disease. And um, and that uh, obviously was not a, that was not a good thing. That was a good, not a good time. <laughs> but um, but I did uh, I, I did manage to find a way to see it in a slightly different perspective. It's still kind of fell in line with the idea of it being a disease and I thought you know if my friend has the flu uh, you know I wouldn't be mad at them for having the flu but if they sneezed on me or something like that it's I'm perfectly within my right to step you know a few steps back or say hey could you maybe turn your head the other way when you sneeze or something like that and I, it's a simplistic view but it's still like you know it's okay to set boundaries it's okay even if someone's sick to say hey I'm not comfortable with this um and uh, and that helped me to be to detach with love. And you know, the next time I was on the phone with family or friends or something like that, or even just talking to somebody, um, and they reacted in a way that was you know they were lashing out or they were angry or you know it was sort of a uh, result of the the disease. Um, I was able to not just get angry and numb, even though I really wanted to, and um, and say, okay, well that works for you. And, but, you know, this is my boundary. So if you could maybe not, maybe we could just not talk about this when I'm around or mm. uh, maybe we could just, I'm going to head out for a bit and whatever you need to do, you can do it. And I just don't want to be a part of it. And so that was loving. I like the idea of loving detachment, but I, it's important for me when I'm being, detaching with love. The only way I can do it is being loving towards not only the other person, but myself also, mm -hmm. and give myself the respect to feel whatever it is I'm feeling. And only when I'm able to love myself am I able to detach with love also. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, detaching with love still uh, was is difficult was a difficult concept for me for, you know, quite a while in the program, a couple of years or so at least. Um, and I remember a friend in the program who's unfortunately moved away because she always had great insights um, talking about the way she explained it to herself. Um, she was in a romantic relationship and she felt that in that relationship she'd be, she should be as close as possible to the other person. Unfortunately, the other person was an alcoholic. And so, um, you know, it was not a healthy relationship. And she said, you know, I was entangled in the relationship. 
And so she held up her hands and laced her fingers together. And she said, so, you know, wherever he went, he took me with him. And, and you know, when you got your, your hands clasped together like that and you move one of the hands, the other one has to go along because they're, they're attached, they're entangled. She said, and I didn't want to go away from him. And she like spread her hands apart. She said, I wanted to be with him. And what I, what I came to understand was that if we just, and she puts her hands together palm to palm with her fingers just touching. She says, if, you know, we can be close but not entangled. And she said, now if he moves and moving one of the hands, I don't have to follow. Um, if he goes to a bad place, I don't have to go there with him. And I guess I'm kind of a visual person. And so that really was like, oh, that was one of those aha moments for me that, oh, there's a picture of what detachment with love looks like. Like I can still be close. I can still love somebody, but their every action doesn't have to control mine. I don't have to be entangled. I don't have to be obsessed. Um, and when they go somewhere I don't want to go, I don't have to go with them. Uh, and uh, that, you know, that that was, that. I don't know, maybe hopefully that'll help somebody. <laughs> um, you know, we've got a, an email from uh, Erica. Maybe somebody could read that. Yeah, Erica wrote in and she said, when I was a newcomer at my second meet, I'm sorry, she said I was a newcomer at my second meeting when I first heard the idea of detachment. I had never really understood that I didn't have to be affected by other people's actions. Up until I started coming to Al-Anon, I was certain that if the people around me started acting, quote unquote, right, meaning the way I wanted them to act, then I would be happy. Every time my boyfriend, a recovering alcoholic, was miserable, I became miserable too. If someone said something hurtful, I ruminated on it for days and victimized myself. For me, detachment is the simple idea that I am separate from other people. It's also the idea of separating a person from their behavior or a person from their alcoholism. When I was living with an alcoholic, I often remember jumping to attention anytime he had a personal emergency, even when I didn't care to help. My resentment towards him began to grow because I felt obligated to help solve his everyday life challenges. Al-Anon taught me that I have a choice to get involved in other people's problems and that I can love people by giving them the dignity to do things for themselves. Yeah, thank you for that, Erica. And, um, you know, one of the reasons that that we picked the topic of detachment for today is it's one of the ways um, to help move out of enabling behavior um, that they... And, and I think Erica touches on that in her last paragraph. I like that she also touched on the idea of choices, you know, and that ties into um, the example that you gave, Spencer, about the clasped hands that, you know, when you are so enmeshed with someone, it feels like there aren't choices. It feels like you're just stuck. You're there. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it feels like stuck. Sometimes it feels great. And I think it's, you know, it's easy for us to block out the bad times and only remember the good ones, um, which is, which is why it's hard for us to change the behavior. But, but yeah, to, to be awakened to the idea that you can choose to get involved in somebody's problems, or even like she said, the idea of feeling someone else's feelings, um, I remember at someone's share a couple months ago, they talked about the idea of growing up in a home where anytime you entered a room, you took the temperature of the room before you entered, um, you know, to kind of figure out what the mood of the space was so that you knew how you were supposed to act. And I could definitely relate to that, um, you know, and both living with active addiction and in sobriety, there is that sort of innate need in me to feel the same way everyone else is feeling and to not interject a different feeling into the situation. I don't know if it's an issue of creating too many dynamics or if it's about keeping the peace, um, but I, I could definitely relate to that idea. And, um, it really was a challenge when I tried practicing detachment. If there was a situation where, you know, if I said no to my alcoholic about something, he wanted me to do something for him and I said no. And he would get really angry and stomp his feet and throw a tantrum. And, you know, my initial thought was, oh my gosh, I, you know, I need to feel guilty or I need to placate him or I need to, you know, but like 
what I realized is that I don't have to act that way, that I can, even if he's angry and frustrated and in a bad mood, I can still have a good day. I can just let him do what he's doing. And, um, you know, what I noticed is that I felt a lot better Mm -hmm. because I wasn't, you know, forcing this negative mood that didn't really exist. And I also noticed that his mood lasted a lot. um, His negative mood lasted for a lot shorter of a period of time because I wasn't facilitating it. You know, I wasn't buying into it. And so much like a kid, you know, eventually he would get to a point where he just got bored with the tantrum and, you know, gave up and stopped. So, um, yes, yeah, I don't know if you have any experience um, on practicing with- detachment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I definitely did that, too, with wanting to just ref- be a mirror for someone else's moods. Um, and I think that was I think uh, part of that was that I was. Uh, sort of the idea of you can't beat them, join them sort of thing mm. on the one hand. And on the other, I think I didn't have enough self-value or, se- or self-worth to be able to say my feelings matter and the only feeling that's that's right, there is a correct feeling to have here. And it's not mine because I, you know, I didn't think I did things correctly. Mm. And so whatever the other person was feeling... I, you know, had to take care of that. And if they felt okay, if they felt, you know, angry, my initial reaction was, oh, you know, I have I have to fix this because if they're upset, then something bad's going to happen or they're going to leave me or whatever. Right. And um, yeah. I'll smooth it over. Yeah, just got to just gotta fix it. <laughs> it's, it's all going to be okay um, if I just do these certain things. And sometimes that would, I, I realized that I, I don't think I accepted it, but I realized that I couldn't do certain things. And that's when I would detach with anger or numbness. Okay. And, um, and now I'm, yeah, I, once I realized that I'm, it was really relieving and, and I, I don't know how, I, I don't know how obvious, I mean, it's really obvious to me now, but at the time I was, it was shocking to hear someone say, you're not responsible for someone else's feelings and you should allow them the dignity of feeling their feelings. Like they're not doing anything wrong by being angry or right. sad. You're just calling it a bad thing and deciding in your own world that them being upset is a bad thing instead of just saying, this is just how it is. It's not good or bad. It's just how it is. And their feelings are none of your business. And um, and seeing it that way helped me out a lot because I thought it was my business to fix their moods. I thought it was my responsibility to make people happy or sad. And it's not. It's just my responsibility, at least from my understanding, it's just my responsibility to live my life in a way that I can be okay with at the end of the day. And um, yeah, so that's that's how I practiced a lot of detachment is just trying to love myself and be aware of myself and let other people be who they are and just accept them for it instead of trying to fix them or change them. Mm-hmm. Spencer? I think that's a really good point. And, and you know, I'm trying to think about like when when did I really start, um, you know, being able to to be lovingly detached from from my alcoholic, and you know, a big part of it, a big part of it is what you said about not taking responsibility for their feelings, um, about uh, you know, because I was I was more or less brought up to feel like you know I was responsible for the whole world. Um, and I had to fix everything and I had to take care of everybody. And so, you know, I started hearing the message in Al-Anon that like, uh, no, your first responsibility is actually to take care of yourself. Um, you know, to put, put on your own oxygen mask before you help, you know, the person in the seat next to you. And that in fact, um, taking care of trying to take care of other people when they, maybe they don't want it. Uh, is is a form of controlling it's not really being helpful it's not really being supportive and and so hearing those messages coming to understand that it really was not my responsibility it was not my job uh, so i could start to let go of the feeling that i had to do it uh, and if i was not responsible for the way my loved one felt if i was not responsible for even making my kids happy um, then I could, you know, if, if I'm responsible for making you happy and you're not happy, then, you know, I'm not going to be happy, right? <laughs> um, and 
it's going to it's going to color the relationship that i have with you it's going to it's going to put strain on the relationship and so when i can let go of that responsibility um then it's a lot easier for me to stay in relationship because i'm not getting frustrated i'm not getting angry um i'm not getting resentful and so i can it's easier to hold on to the positive feelings it's easier to hold on to the love uh, even when you're not acting the way that i want you to act Something you said, Kelly, you talked about the the fight or whatever would be shorter if you weren't mm. if you weren't responding. And and I thought about that and, and I thought about, yeah, there's this feedback cycle that happens where mm. one person does something, the other person responds, the first person responds back, and it can actually like build up. Uh, and uh, I don't I, I don't remember if you talked about not picking up the rope. Did you talk about not picking up the rope? I didn't. Um, you know, this is a, this is a phrase that we have. It comes from one of the readings about, you know, it takes two people to engage in a tug of war. And um, when somebody offers you the rope, you don't have to pick it up. Um, if you do pick it up and start engaging, you you can let go at any time. Um, you don't have to you don't have to stay engaged. And detachment reminds us to do that. Uh, another um, thing that that came up. Um, for me, frequently dealing with active alcoholism was, um, you know, dashed expectations. And, um, you know, that, that gets back to the flu example, I think. That, mm-hmm. uh, um, and I remember a, a friend of mine in the program talking about um, when, when her daughter was actively using and, and how she had to, you know, detach and let go of a lot of expectations around um, her daughter's behavior. She said, she said, you know, it's like I have this end table in my next to my couch. And it's it's kind of um, rickety. It's not very stable. But I've had it for a long time, and I really love it. I don't want to get rid of it. I just have to be careful what I put on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, You know, I, maybe I can put a book on it because if the book falls off, it won't be damaged. But I wouldn't put my favorite vase full of flowers on it because if that falls over, the vase could break and, and, and I'd be really unhappy about it. She said, it's the same way with my daughter. She said, you know, I can arrange to have lunch with her and if she blows it off because of whatever, you know, what am I out? I'm out, I'm out of lunch. Um, and I can still have lunch actually. I just, I'm just out her company. But if, if I want to do something with her that has great meaning to me and, she's not there for it, then I'm going to be really upset. And so in dealing in that situation, she just would do, you know, she would say, yeah, let's have lunch, but she wouldn't say, Hey, you know, let's, let's sit down and have this deep talk or whatever. I don't, I don't remember what, what the example exactly was on the second half, but I, I, I remember that and thinking, Oh, okay. So, you know, when, when somebody is sick, um, we do change we we do change the expectations we have of them and and if if we're detached you know we can still love them we can still have lunch with them um, but we don't rely on them for something that's really important well i think that's a great point that you bring up spencer um the idea that utilizing detachment sort of allows us to let go of or lose some behaviors that maybe aren't serving us, um, like you said in the in the example of unrealistic expectations, you know that when we're able to functionally use detachment, we can have realistic expectations, and we sort of lose this idea of this false sense of control over someone else and and how they're going to act. Um, for me, I also think that something that I gain when I can utilize detachment is uh, some serenity, you know, some peace, some clarity. Um, and, and also an opportunity to pay more attention to my own stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. that I can Mm -hmm. deal with my own problems or work on the things that are plaguing me because when I'm, when I'm not able to detach, I'm, I find that I'm so focused on the other person's behavior that I sort of forget what's going on around me. You know, I'll, I will, um, you know, I won't want to leave the house because I'll know that they're high and I'm worried about what's going to happen. So I will totally blow off a lunch that I had planned with someone um, 
because I'm just not even thinking about it. You know, I, I didn't even think to call and say, hey, I can't make it today or whatever. You know, it just, I'm so consumed. And so it gives me that ability to actually um, put the focus where it should be, which is on my own life instead of someone else's. So are there other things that either of you feel like you um, either gained or lost by using detachment? Um, definitely gained more of a sense of self. I actually kind of to build off what you were saying, Kelly, sometimes I even now find that when I'm not detaching from a situation or actively worried about the other person, it's because I'm wanting to avoid thinking about my own stuff. Mm. So I use that as a way to avoid thinking about my own feelings. And I'm really, I mean, the program has helped me realize that I'm doing it and when I'm doing it catch myself and say okay well why do I why am I focusing on this other person and then realize okay maybe I don't want to deal with my own feelings of fear or sadness or whatever and um so yeah that sometimes I I detach in order to detach in order to feel my own feelings I need to detach so then I'm able to process things and um when I am able to process things I stop thinking that I'm such a victim of the world mm -hmm. and the happenings in it and even if something sad is happening, even if something terrible that I didn't want to happen is happening, I don't feel resentful about it when I'm able to detach from other people's feelings and other people's issues and just focus on my own feelings, appreciate them for what they are, whether it's a negative feeling or a positive feeling, um, and and then just let go. And I, I really, I, I gain a lot of perspective that way and uh, I feel a lot more connected to my higher power and my serenity. And when I when I don't detach, I just find myself scrambling. I feel like I'm mm. juggling mm -hmm. a, a bunch of eggs in the air, and if any one of them falls, it's it's all coming down. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and if and and if any small thing is going wrong, I end up focusing on that thing, and everything else really does fall apart around me. Like I will miss, you know, food with my friends, or sometimes when I this is actually kind of funny when I don't detach when I'm focused on other people. I can't tell the difference between left and right. I mean, I literally can't. If I'm driving and someone tells me to go left, I almost always go right. And <laughs> I, I just, I, I'm so focused on the other person and afraid that they're going to, you know, think some, something like that. But that's a good, like, quick Al-Anon check for me if I'm able to take directions well. And if I'm not, I'm like, okay, I maybe need to call my sponsor and <laughs> talk about left and right a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I just gain more of a sense of self and more of a sense of security about myself and my life. Spencer? Yeah, you know, the obsession with others, the obsession with somebody's uh, actions, feelings, whatever, um, to the the cost of um, my own life uh, is a very familiar feeling to me. Uh, and, uh, you know, so many times that um, before I figured out anything about detachment where it's like, oh, you know, well, we were going to go to that party, but... Um, you know, she's not feeling well, so I'll just stay home. Right. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, well, nobody else wants to go see that movie, so I won't. Mm -hmm. um, or, uh, you know, like you said, I mean, just totally blowing somebody off because, no, I got to take care of this. This is, mm -hmm. you know, this situation is broken and I have to take care of it because I'm the only person who can. And, you know, how arrogant <laughs> is that? But that's, um, so when I'm entangled, when I'm attached, uh, I very easily call, fall back into my codependency. I fall back into my feelings that I have to fix everything that I need to be in control of the world. And, um, you know, that's not a good place for me to be. It really isn't. I also want to, you know, we're talking about what did we get from detaching. One of the things that I got from learning loving detachment was um, the ability to stay in a loving relationship with my loved one who was still in the active grips of the disease uh, and, and to be able to sometimes painfully um, watch that disease progress, mm -hmm. knowing that I couldn't fix it, knowing that I wanted to be with that person. Uh, and, and so I was able to be there when, uh, she found her path to sobriety. Uh, and I don't think I could have done that without being able to be uh, detached from 
from her disease and to be able to detach her disease from her. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Spencer. And even I think it's important to mention that even in a relationship with someone who has uh, some extended sobriety, that there still is uh, there still is a need for detachment, and there still is you know some of it, it's. So I guess just because they get sober doesn't mean the behaviors go away, and so there there are times when my old behaviors would have wanted to kick in just because he acted irrationally. And my initial thought was, I just need to leave the relationship. This isn't going to work, you know, <laughs> just because of one thing happened. But that's, you know, that's how black and white it, it always was. And so to just know that it's, you know, I don't have to make any decisions today. I can sit with this. I can see how it pans out mm-hmm. and, um, and, and, just see what, you know, see what happens. And, and I'm glad I stuck it out, I guess. (laughs) Um, I think at this point we'll wrap up the conversation with, uh, a thought for the day, which kind of encompasses what we all were talking about, but it says detaching from others and getting to know myself go hand in hand because my fate, my very life was no longer tied directly to theirs. I was able to accept them for who they were and to listen to their ideas and concerns without trying to exercise control. After a short break, we'll be back with our lives in recovery, where we talk about the meetings we attend and what's happening in our lives. Next, Simon and Garfunkel sings I Am a Rock. Uh, This is a song about a person who has difficulty detaching. So instead of distancing distancing himself or detaching with love, he just walls himself off and um, from anything that might cause pain and missing out on love and consequence. A winter's day In a deep and dark podcast we talk about our lives in recovery and what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week so spencer do you want to start us off sure um so i went to meeting friday night um and we talked about the second tradition uh which has to do with um our only authority uh in our meetings being uh our higher power as represented by the group conscience and we had, um, actually there was, there was a fair amount of discussion about how, uh, some of us apply that in our personal lives, um, about, uh, and, but also about the way that it seems sort of anarchic, but it works. And, <laughs> and for people who come from a very structured environment, that's pretty weird. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that happened to me, um, totally not about a meeting, but, um, Saturday morning I was listening to. Uh, a broadcast of On Being where um, she was interviewing the Brene Brown who talks about 
shame and vulnerability, and in particular talks about vulnerability as being a pathway to a full life. And a lot of what she was saying really resonated with me, with my experience since I've come into Al-Anon, with my experience that being able to, to open up and be vulnerable has really made such uh, an amazing change in the way that I connect with other people and the way that I enjoy my life. Um, and she has a, a TED Talk. Uh, it's about 20 minutes, and it um, I highly recommend it. Sweeta? Uh, I was at the same Friday meeting um, about Tradition 2, and yeah, I really liked everyone's interpretations of, of that tradition and how it uh, how they employ it in their own lives. And Spencer, help me out here. There was uh, someone at the meeting was saying that the tr- steps are how we relate to ourselves. Could you? Oh yeah, um, that uh, I've heard this said that that the steps help us to live with ourselves, and the traditions help us to live with other people. Yeah, yeah, I really. I really liked that, and I really found that once that was said in the... Actually, when I walked into the meeting and thought, saw that it was Tradition 2, I was like, oh, God, I'm just going to leave. This is, <laughs> I don't want to do this. Um, but then somebody mentioned that, that the steps help us relate to ourselves and the traditions help us relate to each other. And then when I thought about it, I realized that um, you know, Tradition 2 really does help me relate to other people because I, a lot of times I really want them to govern me or either for me to govern them or the other way around. Um, because I really like the idea of a hierarchy one way or the other, black or white, uh, rather than just equals. And um, tradition too helps me remember, you know, that, that no one no one person has the right way. No one person knows how to do anything. And uh, yeah, and I, that's essentially what I kind of heard in the meeting too and reflected in the meeting, which was nice. Um, and that was that was the main meeting for me this week, Kelly. Yeah, I did not make the Friday night meeting. I was feeling uh, like I was coming down with the flu, so I figured it was safer for everyone else in the room if I didn't attend. <laughs> Spencer is shaking his totally head. Totally agree. Totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did meet with a sponsee yesterday, who I believe is giving the lead uh, at the Wednesday night meeting coming up this week on um, the to- and the topic that she picked is acceptance, which. I'm really excited to hear because she has a a kind of a crazy journey. And when I first met her, um, she had no idea of the word acceptance. Um, (laughs) There was a lot of craziness going on. Um, So I'll be interested to hear what she has to say about it. So our topic next week will be shame. We welcome your thoughts and you can join the conversation uh, by leaving a voicemail or sending us an email with your experience or questions about shame. Swetha, how can people send us feedback? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Just put the podcast on pause and join the conversation at 734-707-8795. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send an email to feedback at com. Or if you prefer to use your voice and also like email, you can also record your voice on a uh, on your iPhone and then send it in through your email. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, and you can share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic, which is detachment, or next week's topic of shame. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, just let us know. Spencer, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? Our website, therecoveryshow.com, has all the information about the show. We have uh, notes for each episode. We have a blog with daily meditations. We have links to the music that we play uh, during the uh, during the episodes. Sometimes even some songs that we considered and then didn't use, uh, because there's often more songs than we than we can use. Um, so uh, you can also go over there and and you can just leave comments right on the uh, show notes or on the blog if you want to contribute to the conversation there. So uh, check out therecoveryshow.com and uh, we have a, a piece of listener feedback here. Um, Dan sent us an email about our earlier episode, What is Al-Anon? And uh, Dan, I guess, is in both programs. He says, Al-Anon is my relationship recovery program, as AA is my drug-slash-alcohol recovery program. Although the proper working of the 12 steps does address the underlying causes and conditions of my alcoholism, I find that Al-Anon more specifically deals with those personality traits that create dis-ease in dealing with others. Thanks, Dan, for that. Um, that's that's really good. Uh, I think you know sometimes people wonder where which program I should go to, and and that you know separates it out nicely. Um, I'd also like to uh, uh, mention you know we are in iTunes and we have a couple of reviews in iTunes, but 
Um, if you want to go over there and leave us a review, leave us a five-star rating if you feel we deserve it, um, that will help us move up in the iTunes rankings and make it easier for other people to find this podcast. We're going to close the show with the song Back Where You Belong by Sinead O'Connor. And the way I hear this song is she's saying to um, a loved one that she wants to hold him and comfort him, but she recognizes that he have to, has to live his life on his own. Um, there's a, a lyric here that says, uh, you know, should you stay or should you come down with me? Do you think you can take the answer? As it turns, you have to wear life well. But for now, I want you to be happy. And so, you know, very clearly, she wants to, to be in there, but um, she's also detaching and let him go where he needs to go. Oh, it's hard to be a boy when all the men have lost their joy and they can't find the ones they left behind harder still to think of being a man in this world of no lessons or love it's only war that men be thinking of Should you stay or should you come down with me Is that the question you're asking of me And do you think that you can take the answer as it tells You have to wear life well Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. But when you look behind, you're sure to find Always part of you. No.